twowayradios.com, check, check. Bytwowayradios.com. Recorded almost live from Rock Hill, South Carolina. It's the Two Way Radio Show. Welcome to the Two-Way Radio Show. I'm Rick Savoya. I'm Danny Feimster. And Anthony Roque is out today. And this is the podcast about two-way radios for business and consumer communications. Today we'll discuss the recent citation for the Baofeng UV5R V2 Plus by the FCC and what it could potentially mean for all versions of the UV5R. We'll also tell you about the new Kenwood NXP500 digital radio and a new Kenwood rebate promotion a new ICOM LTE radio, and price increases due to the new tariffs on some Chinese two-way radios. Plus, we'll take some of your comments and questions from our blog and our forums at twowayradioforum.com. Our show is sponsored by buytwowayradios.com, the source of two-way radios and radio accessories for businesses and consumers since 2002. Enter the promo code SHOW at checkout and save an additional 5% off your order. Buytwayradios.com, your radio specialists. The Baofeng UV5R and its variants are some of the most popular radios in the world, and with good reason. They are powerful, versatile, and, above all, they are cheap. On August 1st, 2018, the FCC issued a citation to a U.S. distributor of Baofeng radios, stating that one of those variants, the Baofeng UV5R V2 Plus, is an unauthorized RF device and is violating the commission's rules. Yeah, Rick, this is this is pretty big news, wouldn't you say? This is a um, yeah. I, I kind of wasn't expecting uh, to see this um, this ruling or this citation. Basically, what we've got here is um, someone complained um, who is nameless, <laughs> but uh, in 2013. Someone complained that um, the UV5R that a company called BaofengRadio.us was selling violated its FCC authorization, essentially. This, this radio is um, authorized under FCC Part 90, which is um, for business use. Mm-hmm. And the complaint said that the radio was capable of transmitting on frequencies outside of what's approved by that authorization, and also that the, the radio was transmitting at powers exceeding what was approved in its authorization. Um, I guess let's deal with the power issue first. Okay, because that's, that's the, a very that's interesting one. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting and it's easy because it seems pretty straightforward. I guess the UV5R advertises itself as being uh, able to transmit on one or four watts, mm-hmm. although if you look at the grant um, issued by the FCC, it's authorized to transmit at 1.78 watts. Um, and I guess there was some back and forth between the distributor, BaofengRadio.us, and the Baofeng company, and they ended up saying, no, the radio can only transmit at one watt. It can't actually do four watts, so that the FCC seemed happy with that. It's not actually mm-hmm. exceeding the the power. 
Interesting that they say at one watt, not 1.78 watts. <laughs> right. I guess we're below <laughs> yeah. uh, what it's um, approved for, but that's fine. Um, so what we're left with is the frequency issue. And this is something that um, I wonder if it's going to be a bigger problem from this. I mean, it, it definitely affects a lot of popular imported radios now. Um, I think this opens seems up like a would. big can of worms. It yeah, really does. I, I think so. Um, I guess at the time of, well, the complaint was in 2013, and it was 2017, late 2017, before the FCC got around to addressing the complaint or doing anything about it. And um, they take their time. Yeah, reading from this citation, it sounds like there was some back and forth between the distributor and the FCC, and um, basically, initially, this radio was capable of transmitting on uh, one. 30, looks like initially it was able to transmit on uh, 136 um, up to something higher than, than uh, you know, 160, 170. Because what I have here is a list of, of frequencies from the document that it's basically stepping on other services. Like it's saying it can transmit on 136 to 137, which is aviation, uh, 137 to 138, which is satellite communication. There's a long list of them, and it would be boring to go through that. But um, in other words, it, it's capable of of transmitting on frequencies outside the allotted frequencies for Part 90 for business use. That's what the FCC is saying, that's, and um, it's interesting how they how they're applying it in this case because when you look at a lot of what we would think of as legitimate business radios mm -hmm. like um, Motorola. Kenwood, ICOM, um, it's not unusual to see the capability to transmit in the 136 to 174 megahertz range which, on Which covers a lot VHF. of those, those other bands, those other frequencies. Now, it's possible that when you program in those frequencies, it gives you a message saying we're not, you're not able to, to do this. I mean, I, I can't say that I've ever tried to program a business radio for aviation frequencies or satellite communication frequencies. We, we've so, never had a need to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't been asked to, and we wouldn't. But um, I'm not sure that it would work. But it seems like, based on what they're advertising, it's, I certainly see a lot of radios saying they'll transmit within this range. Yeah, I, I put up products all the time on our website that are all advertising or marketing themselves as being in the 136 to 174 range. Um, and also on the UHF side, you know, it's, there's a broad range on the UHF side from from 420 to, you know, 512 or, or 400 megahertz to 512 megahertz or something like that. That's a pretty broad range. It covers more than just the business frequencies. So it's interesting to me to see where specifically the FCC is drawing the line on what is allowed and what's not allowed. Because at a first glance at this document, it seems like, wait a minute, there's radios that we think of that are legitimate that may be affected by this as well. Mm -hmm. But it seems that where they're drawing the line is something they're calling external controls. There's a footnote on page three of this document that says um, – uh, it says, for instance, Part 90 radios that permit an operator to use external controls to program and transmit on frequencies other than those programmed by the manufacturer 
or service or maintenance personnel are generally prohibited. So, so that means pretty much any radio that's equipped with a keypad that has the capability of being programmed in the field on that radio is is prohibited. It's not allowed on well, a part we can 90 say that, radio. Is is that right? I mean does permit an operator to use external controls to program and transmit on frequencies. That sounds to me like they're saying keypad programmability, like yeah. being able to yeah. key in a frequency on the fly. I mean, I wish they would have said it the way I said it instead of saying operator it's, to use external controls. It sounds like it's a little it's open to a little bit of interpretation, you know, and and I'm I'm pretty sure somewhere else in the document they spell out what they mean by external controls. I didn't see that. Now, I didn't read all of the back and forth that's gone on over the past year, but uh, I didn't see a, a better definition of external controls, but I know that they, they may want to clarify that in this day of uh, day and age of technology and apps and software programmability. I mean, it, it, it's getting easier and easier to program these radios. Software is widely available. It'd be nice if they'd start writing these things out in plainer English. Uh, as well. I think that would help a little bit. Um, I mean, from what I have gleaned from this, it, it sounds like they are not just going after that UV5R+, Plus, but I think it opens the door to them going after all Chinese radios because, or all Chinese radios that have keypads because technically most all of them that I know of are capable of being programmed out in the field or through external controls, so to speak. A lot of them are, absolutely. And if that's where they're drawing the line, part and from the way they describe the UV5R in this document, it looks like they're saying this is a Part 90 type accepted radio mm-hmm. it's transmitting on frequencies that are not authorized within Part 90, and it allows operators to key in those frequencies, those unauthorized frequencies themselves. So if, if that's what it boils down to, then it, Baofeng is not alone. There are, other yeah, there are other brands that have this same issue. There's other parts of this uh, that we need to talk about. Like I would have thought, I'm surprised that they went after a radio that has Part 90 authorization. Because when you look at Amazon, for example, Mm-hmm. There are very, very popular radios being sold on Amazon that have no authorization. Nothing. Like the BF888S. The, the BF888 from Baofeng is one of the most popular radios in the world. It has mm-hmm. to be. You look at the Amazon sales numbers, these things are being sold like wildfires. Crazy. Yeah, because Primarily because of the price. Right. And... I've looked this up. There's no no one has been able to give me an FCC approval for this radio. And we have customers asking for this radio. I won't sell it because it's not approved by the FCC. Mm-hmm. So it puts us and our business at a disadvantage because we're not willing to sell a radio that's not approved, but others seem to be able to, to get away with it. Um, so I'm surprised they didn't go after a radio like that first and I wonder if there's a reason that they didn't I I surmise that uh, and this is just a theory it's it's speculation it's what we do best here on the two-way radio show <laughs> uh, as always 
Isn't but, it bad when that's what we do best is speculation? Yeah. But <laughs> my theory is that, you know, this is essentially a domestic Part 90 reseller of radios, business radios, that is probably looking to um, stave off the supply of Chinese radios flooding the market and what you think the uh, complaint taking, came from a, taking their business you think the complaint initially came from a domestic radio retailer i can't say for sure yeah. but i have my suspicions mm-hmm. I have my or suspicions. manufacturer manufacturer yeah um that that could be the reason they didn't go after a bf888 is is that they're so backlogged like that Maybe in 2013, when people were complaining, the BF888 wasn't as popular, but the UV5R was just yeah, it was just blowing up. So maybe, maybe no one started complaining about the these unauthorized radios maybe until later, and the FCC is five years behind on yeah. Maybe another couple of years, it'll be the BF888S that that gets hit, and by then we've all moved on to something else. Well, what? My concern with that was is the rules get a little hairy, I think, when you start calling radios amateur radios because mm-hmm. th- it seems like the rules are more flexible when it comes to ham products because one of the the biggest benefits of ham, the ham is there for experimentation. So exactly. People can make radios. People can, you know, play with cutting edge technology and things to maybe kind of drive the industry. That's why there is no type acceptance for amateur radios. Right. Can can something like the BF888 claim to be an amateur radio and all of a sudden it's legal? It falls under the rules? Well, that's a good question because once again, as we see here, they're specifically going after Part 90 uh, radios for violating the commission's rules about going outside the frequency range or the, or the band mm-hmm. uh, authorized for that radio as a business radio. With amateur and marketing radios, does seem to, to play a part. I mean, there is a paragraph in here where it seems to put a lot of uh, responsibility on the marketer mm-hmm. more so than maybe even the manufacturer or um, a distributor. Like uh, here, I have this asterisked in my uh, in my document. I think what's what they mean by marketer is anybody who's selling the radio is sure, technically so a marketer. Of yeah. course, the, the retailer I think yeah, is, is yeah. A, a substitute. It says as such, a marketer must a ensure that any RF device it offers for sale in the United States has been tested under and complies with the commission's rules, and b adheres to all FCC identification requirements, including providing notice to custom or to consumers that such device has been properly authorized under the FCC's commission rules. Well, I think that's interesting that it's on the retailer to ensure that it's been tested and complies with the commission's rules because... Yeah, shouldn't that be on the manufacturer? Because the manufacturer is the one who's supposed to be taking that radio in for testing and make sure uh, that it gets that certification in the first place. Right. I'm a retailer. Yeah. And... I've got to say, my assumption was that when I saw a Part 90 type acceptance sticker, an FCC grantee code on the product, when there was an, an FCC ID issued, I assumed that that meant that it's been tested and complies with the Commission's rules. Doesn't, 
Doesn't I would that mean the same thing? That the FCC has looked at the at this device and said, yes, it meets our rules? Yeah, well, there are a couple of things going on here. What you just said can be forked into a couple of different directions. The one that we were talking about earlier has to do with, with uh, who's actually ultimately responsible for that Part 90 certification, even after the FCC approves it. The other question here is uh, why is the burden of proof on the retailer more than the manufacturer? Because it's not our, we didn't make the radio. We have nothing to, we're just reselling the radio and 99.9% of the time, the retailer is just basically going by the specs that were given to them by the manufacturer because it's the manufacturer's product. I'm okay you know? with there being some responsibility on the retailer. I'm okay with the retailer. Uh, for, for example, the BF888 situation. I'm not going to sell a radio that hasn't been type mm -hmm. accepted by the FCC. But, but let's say, for instance, let's say, for instance, then the manufacturer does slap an FCC sticker on there uh -huh. and tells everybody that it's FCC type accepted, and goes to the to the retailer and says, hey, we've got an FCC-type accepted radio, the BF888S, and uh, the FCC's approved it, everything's official, and here are all the specs for it, here you go. Who, who does the retailer trust? Can the retailer trust the manufacturer on that? Or does the retailer have to assume all the burden of proof to make sure that what the manufacturer is telling them is true? I'm okay with the retailer having to uh, not just taking the manufacturer at, at their word to some mm -hmm. level I, I can say trust but verify <laughs> well if someone sends me a radio as we've seen before with an fcc id on the, that radio and we look up that fcc id and it's for a different radio it's mm -hmm. not for the radio that that we're looking at which happens I'm, I'm well, it okay. happens to the, to the major ones, too. I mean, look at how many of the consumer FRS radios that use the same – they're basically they're different models. I think that's a different – They use the same FCC ID to make them – That's different. It, they just change the outside. A lot of times they have the mm -hmm. same exact board inside, but they may change the color or they may change something external on the unit. And I think that's fine, and I understand that. For example, a, a GXT-1000 and a GXT-1050 share an FCC ID – those are our Midland products, and the difference is one is camo and one right. isn't. Right. Well, that that I think that would, one's a little bit obvious. But what about some of the, say, the older Motorola products, where some of them had the peanut shape, some of them did not, but they were using the same internals. But how did you really know? Because some of them were using the same FCC ID for Part 95. You have to look at the you specifications. Know. Like if you see that one is claiming more range than the other then you may have a problem. Yeah, obviously, it, it, it probably isn't the same uh, package inside. I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but I think that – I really think that the, the retailer can be responsible for looking up that FCC ID and making sure that everything seems to match. What confuses me is I thought that if I saw an FCC ID on that product and it seemed to match the product, that in itself meant that it's been tested and complies with the commission's rules. Which brings us back to the first 
point when I talked about forking in two different directions, that first one is that if the FCC approves this device as a Part 90 and gives it type acceptance for Part 90, and the manufacturer starts sticking their Part 90 sticker for this on here because the FCC approved it, can the FCC come back later and say, oh, we made a mistake, our bad, uh, we, we shouldn't really have approved it, so it's still on you? Well, I don't have a problem with them saying that, yeah, we shouldn't have approved this, but I don't think that a retailer should be held responsible mm-hmm. for marketing something that, that was non-compliant when the FCC didn't – aren't they saying that it's compliant by issuing that? Exactly. That, That's my point exactly. If the FCC is saying that it's compliant, they're approving that, and then – And if they're not, if, if they're going to come back and say that this um, FCC ID doesn't mean that it's, it's approved – or that it meets the rules, then what does it mean? What does that ID mean? It sort of loses its its significance altogether. It, it really loses its uh, authenticity. And maybe something. Maybe there's something else here. Maybe they approved a UV5R. I mean, I see 50 variations of the UV5R. If you search mm-hmm. UV5R, there's not just a UV5R anymore. Yeah, there's. They, Different brands, different labels, all kinds of things. The one that we're talking about in this document that BaofengRadio.us sells is called a UV5R V2+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So maybe what the complaint is is the radio is changing, and they're changing the board. They're changing critical parts of the radio, and they're still using that FCC ID from an earlier version. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the complaint, and that makes sense to me that it would be on the retailer. Let's go back just a, a moment to the power ratings on these radios because we were going over this document before the show and we found something else that was very interesting about about the power ratings. Um, this company basically was saying that uh, they were marketing this radio at a higher power than what it was what it actually was. And that's a, a completely different can of worms right there. Well, it's interesting. For the consumer. <laughs> if they're saying that it's a one or four watt radio, and by which they probably mean that there's a, a regular power mode and a low power mode. Mm-hmm. And in regular mode, it transmits at four watts. And in low mode, it transmits at one watt. But it, according to their testing, it actually does not transmit at four watts. It transmits below two watts. Yeah, according so, to... Yeah, according to what they provided the FCC, it transmits at 1.78, not 4, and really it only transmits at 1. And they admitted it themselves later on in this document when they came back and said, well, yeah, this doesn't really transmit at, at 4 watts. Or, and, and I think there was a version of it that was supposed to be 8 watts, right? And, and th- it, this is It wasn't close to that. I have put UV5Rs on a power meter before, personally, and they've transmitted at four watts, mm-hmm. or very close to four watts. Now it it varies based on the frequency that you're transmitting on. Mm-hmm. Like um, you know, if you're, I'm, I don't remember the exact numbers, but for example, if you were transmitting at 460, it would be four watts. But then if you put it on at 450, it would go down to 
you know, two watts or something like that. Then again, we got one of those eight watt radios or ten watt radios, whatever they were, and we put them on. We put them on the bench, and it turned out they were nowhere even close to what they were being advertised. Yet. And I think we we had a discussion about that. I think in a previous episode of the two way radio Maybe. show. Maybe yeah. There, there's quote unquote eight watt versions of the UV5R that are are being sold. And uh, we thought, oh, well, that sounds interesting. We should sell those because we, our customers are asking for them. But um, they, the power, based on our test, were exactly the same as the other UV5Rs. Um, so we decided not to carry those. So essentially what they're telling the FCC is that, well, no, 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 they're not really, you know, they're not really what we claim them to be. They really are a lower wattage. So what they're telling the FCC and what they're telling the world is that, hey, we lied to you. You know, we're we're we weren't being truthful when we were marketing these products as to what their power rating really was. That's true, but I don't like it. I wish there was more honesty, but mm-hmm. I can't say. And I'm not here to defend Baofeng. It would, I mean, our business would probably be a lot better if Baofeng went away. To be honest with you, <laughs> but they've caused a lot of uh, issues. Yeah, we, we've got to treat it. I mean, we've got to put everyone on a level playing field. And there's a lot of dishonesty about power in this industry. Mm-hmm. We have as as well as range. <laughs> we, we've been yeah, well yeah. range especially in the the FRS GMRS world. But there we've also had people claiming or manufacturers claiming certain power. And then you look at what the FCC actually says for power in the grant, and it's considerably lower than what the manufacturers yeah. say. So it's, it's not just Baofeng, but everyone should be honest. Well, uh, in any case, I think this is just the beginning of a whole messy situation in in the industry with a lot of these Chinese radios. I wonder what is going to happen. Based on what I'm reading here, and this is just speculation, what we do best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're the speculators. <laughs> it, it seems like what we're getting is more and more resistance to cross-service devices. Like... Um, when the FCC made their changes with uh, FRS and GMRS um, earlier, what that's been? That was this year, wasn't it? It was last year. Last year, yeah. Oh, boy, time flies. The whole year already. Goodness, when those changes came down, one of the parts of that was, um, hey, we're, we're no longer going to approve devices that do multiple services. Like you can't have a marine radio that's also a GMRS radio. Well, right now you can buy. Uh, especially a lot of these import radios that do amateur frequencies mm-hmm. and business frequencies. And where we sell these radios, we market them to hams. We don't really market these radios. For, I, I never felt like these radios were the right fit for business customers. Um, well, you know, but, it's it's not just business, but uh, at least I think at least one retailer was marketing uh, a variant of this UE5R uh, or a similar radio. Uh, as a multi-service um, radio for, for FRS, GMRS, MERS uh, at some point. I don't know if that's still on the market anymore. I haven't really been following that lately. But uh, I remember at one point there was one that was actually being marketed as a multi-use 
Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. There's an Anytone uh, yeah, radio, or some maybe it's a, a rebranded Anytone that someone has um, had support GMRS MERS, which is definitely um, a no-no. Uh, well, it was approved by the FCC. I'm not saying they did anything wrong. Maybe they got in before the, the rule change. Um, and there was also something weird with that radio where you have to turn it off and hold down a certain key when you turn it on to put it in another mode. That's right. So maybe they found a now. loophole. Uh, so I don't know. Three I, I'm not going to say one. they're doing anything wrong. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but it, but it does bring up the question. Well, what I am wondering if we're going to start seeing is – ham versions of these radios and then the same radio with a different firmware that are business versions of this radio. That's possible. Like maybe we'll see a UV5RH for ham and uh, if there's probably already a UV5RH. <laughs> and a UV5RBUS or something for a business. Right. And the difference would be the, the ham version just supports the specific frequencies in the two meter 70 centimeter ham bands and then the business one will be limited to just those land mobile frequencies and prohibit keypad programmability that's possible i'm sure they'll they'll find workarounds to to get through that once they realize that uh uh-oh uh this is definitely going to affect our market and here in in the u.s right one thing that i'm certain about these radios aren't going to go away whoever made this complaint if their intention was to make the radios go away it's not going to it's not going to happen um they're just not with morph the uv5r anyway yeah they're just going to morph into something else the bf888 that could go away because you can't have a analog radio type accepted for business any longer it has to be digital only and that's not an approved radio so the bf888 could go away I don't think the UV5R is going to go away. But I think it will still be a while before we see the last of the BF-888, just simply because well, the market's so saturated with these things, and the FCC hasn't really specifically addressed that radio yet. I wonder, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the UV5R will go away. Think about this. The, um, what if... They have to change the UV5R. And that was my thought. That's where I was going with it. I was going to say, they're going to change this UV5R five minutes from now. They're going to flash it to something different that's going to be compliant. But wait a minute. We we changed the rules in 2015 to where analog radios can no longer be type accepted for business. This what if true. the FCC says, this is true. you've got to be reapproved? And now they can't get mm-hmm. reapproved because the rules changed and you've got to be digital to get part 90 type acceptance now <laughs> maybe maybe that, they are uh, onto something whoever made I this mean, complaint well i think <laughs> they might i think it might still be approved if they if they because uh, uh, i think analog they're not approving any analog radios right anymore right or just they business. have to be i believe okay. they have to be two watts or less which i guess this uv5r is well i think don't they also have to support uh uh narrow narrow band no, 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 no. That, that's what digital is, basically. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're 5 watts uh, or 2 to 5 watts, you have to be 6 and a quarter right. um, Six and a quarter, equivalent, uh, which is DMR or right. NXDN, one of the digital technologies. Okay. But I believe if you're mm-hmm. under 2 watts, you can still get an approval with analog. Well, technically, 
since the UV5R is officially 1.78 watts, supposedly, it still is, um, then that would put it within the realm of that, uh, of that, of that, uh, that, that would put it within the specs. It would, it would, but they would still have, every, I'm thinking about every two watt or less business radio that we sell or that I've seen has frequencies built in. Like there'll be a list of 89 or 89 frequencies or 56 frequencies. You see a different number a lot, but it seems to always be 89 or 56. Um, It has those frequencies built in and you can choose only from those frequencies. So maybe there's some other rule, and I'm not sure, we're speculating again, what we do best, trademark. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, Maybe there's some rule like that, that a two-watt radio or less has to only work within this more limited range of frequencies. So what Baofeng would have to do is they would have to lock down or lock out some of the frequency ranges outside uh, the business uh, band, and they would have to lock down that, uh, well, they'd have to lock down items in the menu to prevent users from being able to uh, program it out in the field. I think that they would have to lock it down so that you couldn't specifically key in a frequency. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that you couldn't key in a frequency that wasn't in a list of approved frequencies. I think that what they'd probably have to do is essentially pre-program business frequencies into this radio. The hard program them in, I would say. That's what you usually see with the lower than 2-watt approved business radios. Um, yeah. For example, uh, probably the most popular one in the world, the CLS 1410 from Motorola. Um, If you go into programming mode on that radio, you basically choose a frequency number, 1 through 56. And then you look at the manual, and those numbers 1 through 56 correspond with a frequency. And uh, I guess they could do it that way, but it would probably be okay if you could type in those frequencies but it would reject any frequency that wasn't in the, the list of 56. Well, from what I'm reading here, it looks like it says here, part any radios that permit an operator to use external controls to program and transmit on frequencies other than those programmed by the manufacturer or service or maintenance personnel are, greatly pro- are generally prohibited. That, to me, translates to saying that even if they're business frequencies, you can't punch those in. Well, what's the difference? I don't understand what the difference would be between choosing the number three from a list of frequencies or keying in 464.500 if if the end result is the same. I hear what you're saying, but I'm just reading what it says here. That's that's my interpretation of it. Now, I could be wrong. I often am. (laughs) So who knows? Um, Now, there is something in parentheses saying delineating exceptions. So um, I'm not sure what that means, what these exceptions would be. Maybe that's yeah, one I mean, of the exceptions. Knows? Maybe it that's an matter. exception. Who knows how they're going to implement so, choosing specific business frequencies? Who knows how they're going to implement it? They, can, they own the firmware. They can do it however they want. That's true. All I know is this is – I think this is a can of worms. Yeah, so maybe in the future you're going to have much more lockdown mm-hmm import radios perhaps when you buy a uv5r a year from now 
you will only be able to transmit on ham frequencies. If they're still available on the open market a year from now. <laughs> I don't if, think if the only way to buy away. them is through the dark web or something. <laughs> you know? I don't see it's too big of a market. I mean, it seems uh, like they're going to do what they have to do to make this radio compliant. Uh, unless it this um, rule with the digital approval gets in their way. Well, I guess we'll just have to see how this shakes out over time. Time will tell. I and then so. in the meantime, I think we're just going to have to pay real close attention to this because um, this can potentially affect all the Chinese radios well, really, I, that, that we carry. Yeah, I, I have uh, decided that we are not going to carry the UV-5R any longer, uh, at least in its current form. Um, once our current stock is gone, we're not going to reorder until they can tell me that they have a compliant product. So um, I think that's the best best course of action here. Yeah, we're, we're going to sell through what inventory we have left, but it's um, it shouldn't take long. If you want a UV5R from buy2wayradios.com, get it now. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to stop selling the UV5R or, or, or uh, suspend sales of those uh, until further notice. Right, and all of our other import manufacturers. Um, you know, Ocean is was, I think, ahead of the curve on this. I think we need to give them some props. Yeah, so they've already episode. locked down their, right. their frequencies. Years ago, they locked down their, um, I believe what they did was they locked down their non-Part 90 type accepted radios to be ham only, Yeah, such as yeah. The, the 8D, the 9D, um, I believe they're 920, 950, I want to say mobiles um so they they were ahead of the curve on this their radios from what i can tell are already fully compliant with what i'm reading in this uh document here of course we got flack from a lot of the hams for for uh for that them doing so it's like well they're locked down i want to open up these frequencies there we, we've got we received requests from ham saying hey can you unlock these frequencies because i want to go you know well um that, you know, it's amazing to me how many of these hams are such sticklers for following the rules, but a lot of them, when it comes down to what they want to do with the radio, it's like, oh, well, the, the heck with the rules. We're, you know, we, we want what we want. And, well, I think uh, you have two different people there, and you're, you're combining them together. I think you have some people that are real sticklers for the rules, and then you have maybe. some people who want one radio that will transmit on everything that they want to transmit on. Yeah, but as, many really of them, but as many of them as have called up and, and written to us and saying, you know, hey, open up these frequencies, uh, open up these radios, uh, it just kind of makes you wonder. <laughs> it really does. Well, I mean, we've talked about it at length. It's always been my opinion that people don't, in general, if you're generalizing, people don't care about the FCC rules. Apparently and not. <laughs> how many people bought FRS, GMRS radios for the first 16 years we were in business and did not get a license? Uh-huh. I would say maybe two of them got a license mm-hmm. <laughs> out of the, you know, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands that we sold. And how many people have called us up, uh, you know, buying these ham radios and asking us to program MERS and FRS and GMRS, and and, and we don't do that, uh, and we we tell them why, but uh, it doesn't stop them from calling up and and requesting that. But uh, 
you know, I, I, I once again, I, th- I think this is just a, it's just the start of a, a big can of worms. <laughs> it really is. Well, stay tuned. Yeah. Well, well, that was a long topic. Do we have anything else to talk about? Oh, yeah. We have plenty of things to talk about. I don't know if we're going to get up to them all today, but uh, we have plenty to talk about. Anthony's going to be so disappointed that he missed this episode. He is. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course. He can always listen to it later. <laughs> Where's my? I'm sure he's going to be listening later. Oh, let's see. We've got a few okay. radios that we need to talk about in our probably in our next episode, but maybe we want to. We can announce kind of give them a little here. preview. Yeah, we can what announce them here. Uh, Kenwood just came out with a new Pro Talk radio, the NXP 500, and uh, this is a UHF digital business radio. I know. I'm and, so uh, excited about this radio. I know I say that cool. every time we get a new radio. You do. Literally, I am very excited about this this NXP 500. And you know You're why? excited about every radio. <laughs> I'm excited about it because the price is finally coming down on this digital product. And maybe it's close enough now. This is a, a tiny radio. It reminds me of the Motorola DLR series a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. Uh, the DLR series is a 900 megahertz digital, and um, it's tiny like that. And that, that DLR has been a, a success and is a very good radio. But this is an NXDN radio, and, and uh, historically, those have been rather expensive, very right. expensive. And the TK3230 has been around for a long time. That's Kenwood's one-and-a-half-watt analog radio. And it's been around for a while. It's small. It's good for restaurants, medical offices, you know, small range retail. For a, It's a lightweight radio. I think that this NXP500 gives those 3230 users something to move to. It gives mm-hmm. them some new technology. Um, it's smaller than the 3230. The sound is better. Well, I guess I don't want to. Well, we should save it for the next episode. Yeah. Um, well, they also have a promotion going on here, a new Kenwood promotion that just started. Hey, and, I guess we should uh, plug is, that. Yeah. The, the, the new Kenwood promotion is basically the same as the previous one, where you can get a, a gift card and a multi-unit charger, and the amount of the gift card depends on uh, which models you purchase, but you buy six radios and you get a gift card for uh, it could be from one hundred to two hundred dollars depending on the model, and you get you buy six radios, you get a gift card and a multi-unit charger. That's a pretty phenomenal deal, and they're including the new NXP five hundred in that promotion. So that I mean that for a brand new radio, a brand new NXDN radio that's out and to just right away be placed in a promotion like that, uh, I think is, is pretty cool. You know, yeah, it, it is pretty cool. So uh, the the multi charger is going to save you 150, mm-hmm. 200 bucks probably. And uh, what do you get? Maybe 150 dollar gift card for buying six. So I think that I think on the NXP. Let me just just double check. I forgot which one that was, but even if it's only 120, it's that's 20 dollars off per radio. It's 125, 125, 125. So it's basically 20 bucks amount. off per radio. So that gets you the radio at 220, 
And that's not too big of a jump from 164 where the 3230 is. And you get the free multi-charger. Mm, I think that that's a I, phenomenal. I think people are going to like this radio. I think it's a phenomenal deal for a brand new radio that just came out on the market. Plus, uh, I played around with it just a little bit, and uh, it's a nice, solid radio. I know. I wish Anthony were here today. He, I know, he spent a lot of time with this radio, yep. and he talked to, uh, I think, some folks at Kenwood who were using it over um, three or four different warehouses, all close together, and they, and they were super impressed with the the quality and the the range. Yeah, it was telling me that the, it was very clear, and the range was was very good between those buildings. Yeah, he was saying so, that the thirty two thirty would always across multiple buildings you would lose signal and it would be kind of staticky and it's of course with the digital radio it's crystal clear as long as you've got a signal you've got a crystal clear signal you don't get static and this radio is designed for and marketed to uh, education hospitality restaurant retail uh, a lot of the same industries that a lot of the other uh, one to two watt um, analog radios are marketed to, but this is a digital radio that's also capable of dual operation, digital and analog. Right. Like I, so, I think that's the case with all of our digital radios. I yeah, think they'll these do days. analog as well, right? I think that's kind of a standard now. Yeah. So but it's still pretty the, cool. The nice thing there is that if you're if you're currently using 3230s, you can move to this radio and not throw all your 3230s out as you replace them. Mm-hmm. You can bring in NXP 500s and uh, switch to digital later, yeah, or make just, a digital channel and an analog channel. Sure, yeah, you can just gradually move into the digital age as you need, or as as as, as you can can do it. You know, over time, you don't have to just you're not forced to just jump right into all digital. Um, speaking of jumping right into all digital, the other new radio that we need to talk about is uh, from ICOM, an IP501H. Now, this yeah. one I'm also excited about. I know this, I say that about every radio, but this one I really well, am I know, excited I about. know you are. And this is a completely different animal. Now, uh, if you're familiar with the IP100H, which was an IP-based radio, this, is, this takes this one to a, a whole other level. This is an LTE radio. This uh, uses a SIM card and it communicates over AT&T's LTE network. So anywhere you have AT&T's network, which is essentially nationwide in the United States, um, you can communicate with these radios. So this is, I'm gonna say this is a niche product. It's not for everyone. There is a monthly fee that's um, $28 per month per radio. And what you're paying for there is service on AT&T's network and on ICOM servers. ICOM spent a lot of time and money building a network of servers with redundancy and that uh, can support all the radios that they're planning on selling on this network. I, I looked at their technology, they, and that's why we decided to go with them. There are a few companies doing this now, but ICOM really impressed me. They call and, it uh, LTE Connect, is what they call it. Yeah, that's their system. They're, yeah, that's their system. It uses an AT&T backend, but really you're going through – AT&T is providing the network, but you're going to ICOM's system. ICOM has the ability, with the way they built this, to change to a different provider from AT&T if they wanted to. It's not like um, you're just – 
farming it out to AT&T. ICOM built the infrastructure, and uh, they've invested a lot in the infrastructure. And this is a, kind of a heavy-duty radio for its for its size. It's uh, once again this is another one like it's the NXP 500. It's it's a solid radio, it's fully waterproof, I believe. Yeah, yeah. But we're we're going to do. A uh, whole episode on this one. Our, our next episode, we're really we're going, going to talk cover more about the 501H next week. We're probably going to talk more about the NXP 500 next yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, when Anthony's here to to go into some detail on the product, uh, the 501H. Though goodness, that nationwide. Cover, how many times do we hear from customers that they want they need more range? They don't yeah. want to deal with getting a repeater. Um, they've got a fleet of vehicles. They run an HVAC company. They need communication everywhere. But this is truly a device that operates on a wide area network. It is, and it's for companies where cell phones won't get the job done or you don't want to give your employees cell phones. The radio itself starts at $540 per radio, which is less than a lot of cell phones, but um, there's a $28 a month service agreement. and or $28 a month is the month-to-month price for service. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some packages you can work out for um, for the radio and the service, and give us a call if you're interested. All right. Um, now that brings us to our, our final topic for this episode, and that's an update on the Chinese tariffs. As we've been covering the last few episodes, so we're doing updates on uh, the status of the proposed or what's now going into effect, the tariffs on Chinese radios. And um, I, I have to say that the Chinese tariffs are now officially in effect on on these uh, transceivers. We got our first tariff yeah. bill a couple of days ago, yeah. and uh, it was not cheap. It was a kind of uh, wow. Yeah. So we're raising prices. <laughs> yeah. Here, here it comes, folks. <laughs> Brace yourselves, or we are going to have to raise uh, prices on some of the products. Uh, uh, right now, I think the first ones that are going to be hit are the Ocean products, and right. the prices are going to vary depending on the model. I mean, it's not going to be a you know a straight flat number across the board. It's it's going to depend. It's, it's going to be a percentage. To give you a little insight, there, there's some models um, with Ocean where the manufacturer drives the, the retail pricing, mm-hmm. where basically I'm just throwing out example numbers here, but like let's say on certain radios they're saying you have to advertise this radio at 149.99 in those cases usually there's more margin than if they allowed you to sell for any other price so you may not see those models increase as much Mm -hmm. because we'll end up just eating some of that and staying the tariff money and just staying at the regular price but products where the price is allowed to just to float those are going to have to increase yeah well, um, brace yourselves for that, and uh, who knows how long this will last. Maybe in a few weeks they'll come to some sort of agreement. Uh, uh, it's not looking who, good, though, is it, Rick? Well, at the moment it's all pretty much still news. up in the air. Yeah. yeah, it's all pretty much still up in the air. It looks like we're going forward with a lot of these, and they may implement a few more before this is over. But um, we're just going to have to keep an eye on it continually and see how it all shakes out. Uh, got an email from Hi-Terra, um earlier this week also where they they were claiming that they were named in uh, some defense spending bill 
And uh, it sounds like the government is prohibited from buying Hytera products now. Well, once again, I think I, I think we're just in the the beginning of of, of all of this with with the Chinese radios in general, and and uh, I, I'm, who knows where this is going to go. We're just going to have to – I don't even want to speculate at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we do best. That's what we trademark. do best. But uh, I'm, I'm just afraid to speculate right now. Just uh, We'll just have to see how, what happens next, you know. But uh, anyway, we have some uh, comments and questions from our blog and our forum at toweradioforum.com. Uh, the first one comes from uh, Redhead777. And um, – Let's see. I'm picking up a military frequency on my Midlands X-Talker T51A on FRS channel 17, which I looked up and figured out it was frequency 462.6000. I have a repeater less than a mile from me in a military base a few miles from me, and I'm trying to figure out who it is. Does anyone know where I can look up who is using the frequency in my radio based on my area? Uh, thanks, guys. And that's from Redhead777. Um Sounds like there's a problem somewhere yeah, if you're getting military some, transmission on an FRS radio. Yeah, and getting some harmful interference there. So it must be a strong signal coming through that's where it's which is uh, just yeah, bleeding through all the, the the frequencies here. But I mean, really, FRS frequencies aren't assigned to individuals or organizations. So you're really not going to find a list anywhere of who's assigned to what frequency in your area. There's really no such list, uh, as far as I know. Um, and I don't know that I would trust one if there was. But, you know, the military doesn't generally share any frequency with, with FRS, but it is possible there could be some interference for a signal that's yeah, really, I, I really would strong. Say either you've got so, some military personnel that have bought FRS radios and are using them. That's possible. Or you've got the military base. I can't imagine any real military communications equipment is going to be using that FRS frequencies, but maybe they're transmitting at such power or maybe their their frequency is bleeding into that's other very possible frequencies causing other causing interference with as, as far as tracking them down though um, there are ways to track down and and uh, try to find out the signal location it's done a lot hams do it a lot in fact uh, a lot of hams engage in what's called a fox hunt which is an exercise where they try to find signals from unauthorized users. Did you participate users. in one of those, Rick? We were going to, but we, we didn't make that one. But um, but a lot of people do, and I understand it's a lot of fun, and uh, it's not hard to do. I've, I've seen videos on how it's done, and there's a little bit of skill involved, but it's not hard to do. Maybe you can contact uh, a local ham club. They like to do that. They, they, you know, they often do that for fun. So you, you contact a local ham club and see if there's anybody interested in and see if they can uh, kind of track down the signal, find out where it's uh, uh, originating from, and uh, you know that might that might help you out a little bit. Uh, next one comes from E Jolliffe, and uh, he or she wants to know. Can a Kenwood 3302 and a Motorola XPR 7350 communicate? I own both radios and just looking to use them on hunting trips. Is this possible? And that's from E. Jolliffe. Well, a Kenwood 3302 I am quite familiar with, and that is a UHF radio. 
the Motorola, uh, what was the Motorola model? The XPR 7350. Now, there is both a VHF and a UHF version, so it depends on which version, which model you have. If you have the UHF model, it's possible. You just have to, to yeah. program them both to the same frequency. But if it's a VHF version, If you have no. the, the UHF XPR radio, then you're probably going to have to find a dealer to program those radios mm-hmm. because uh, I don't believe the software is, is readily available. Those are, are very high-end radios. And even the Kenwood ones, it's, uh, usually it's a dealer that has the ability to program those to um, basically any frequency that's not in the list like we talked about earlier. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I would say um, talk to your local two-way radio dealer or give us a call. We can probably um, get those programmed up for you or um, lead you in the right direction at least. All right. Well, that does it for our comments and questions this week. Send in your comments and questions for Danny, Anthony, or myself to show at buy2wayradios.com. If you want to know more about today's topic or about two-way radios in general, check out our forum discussions at twowayradioforum.com. You can subscribe to the Two-Way Radio Show directly from our website at twowayradioshow.com or hear it on iTunes, Blueberry.com, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher Radio. I guess that does it for our episode uh, this time. And what an episode it was. <laughs> I hope I hope people enjoy this one. Um, I can't tell if it was good or bad. Uh, I guess let us know. Yeah, let us know. Send in uh, send in your comments to us and, and let us know what you think. And hey, we use your comment on uh, the episode. We'll send you a uh, two way radio show T shirt. Free. It's always interesting to me whether you know episodes like this where we just take a document and sit here and speculate and you know not we're not really providing anything here we're just (laughs) sitting around like we would not on the podcast going what's going on with this document what does this mean do people like that do people not like that do people prefer the shows where we're picking a topic and maybe trying to be more educational do you like a free (laughs) t-shirt let us know yeah let us know let us know tell us what you want do you want us to stop doing this (laughs) You like a free t-shirt, don't you? (laughs) All right. Well, today's show is sponsored by BuyTwoWayRadios.com. Whether you're searching for two-way radios for general consumer or business use, BuyTwoWayRadios can help you find the best solution for your needs. Enter the promo code SHOW at checkout and save an additional 5% off your order. Give us a call at 1-800-584-1445 or enter our live chat at BuyTwoWayRadios.com. Well, everyone, as always, thanks for listening. And until next time, for the Two-Way Radio Show, I'm Rick Savoya. And I'm Danny Feimster. And we're out. Out.